Hier komen wij in vreemd. This is Red Flag Radio, your favourite revolutionary socialist podcast, hopefully. And my name is Rose Ward. We record the show on Indigenous land uh, that was stolen, never ceded, that always was and always will be Aboriginal land. And we're here today to uh, talk about, on Mother's Day, ironically or not, or maybe deliberately, um, the issue of abortion rights in America right now, because as people will know, political people out there listening to this, uh, it's become a major issue in the last week because of a leaked uh, document from the Supreme Court. And we have Emma Norton back on the podcast to talk about this with us. Welcome back, Emma. Hey, thanks for having me. Let's start with a basic Again. one. Um, and you're just writing a, or you've just, uh, well, by the time this comes out, I would think an article by you on this question. Um, let's start with something um that uh we sort of take for granted that socialists support abortion and socialists have always been part of the campaigns in support of choice um women's choice why though do socialists support abortion rights yeah good question i mean it's sort of an yeah it's sort of a no-brainer in many ways um but I think it's worth reflecting on. I think as social and socialists have supported this right to abortion and to reproductive rights um, for a, a long, long time. Uh, and I think it's partly because socialists are just for the maximum amount of human freedom. That's what we're fighting for, really. Um, you know, one of the worst things about capitalism is that in order to exploit people, it has to exercise arbitrary authority over pretty much every aspect of our lives um, and that's you know exercised by all these capitalist institutions like the state that uh, decide a lot of things uh, for us and I think with something like abortion you know this should be the the decision of women or people who are pregnant not uh, anything to do with the state really and socialists have recognized that from early on you know similarly um, recognize that people's sexuality what they do with their bodies should be uh, their decision, not that of the state. Um, and I think the other important reason is that the denial of abortion rights is a really important, and just the control of women's reproductive systems is an important part of women's oppression. And, you know, that's sort of where the origins of this really is that, um, you know, the system has oppressed women in the nuclear family and uh, used them as kind of the the empty vessels that churn out babies and raise the next generation and you know even though a lot of things have moved on in many ways or um, improved for women that's still an expectation that women um, do most of the you know domestic labor and the raising of the next generation so it's always been important to capitalism to kind of have some control exert some control over that process and to um, keep women in the nuclear family and I think for the right especially that's that's really important to defend that as part of defending the system overall. Yeah. So what does this have to do with the sort of working class politics that define um, socialist politics? Yeah. Uh, well, I think it's really a class question um, in many ways. And, and this has been the, the case, again, from early on that the socialist movement and the workers' movement took abortion rights and reproductive rights very seriously because they could see that um, 
you know, how how terribly it affects working class women in particular. Uh, for one, like working class women are much more burdened by their role in the home and, you know, having a million kids contributes to that and the socialist movements always maintain that women have a right to engage in politics and social life outside of the home. Um, but I think as well just just like the question of abortion and reproduction is, is a class question. You think about it, wealthier women can afford um, – and always have been able to afford expensive contraceptives or upmarket clinics. For working class women, though, they've just been butchered by, you know, back alley abortionists or um, poisoned by what used to be called abortifacients, I learned recently, um, which are just these dodgy, you know, vials of, of stuff that working class women were sold on the cheap to uh, supposedly uh, get rid of their pregnancies but would often kill them as well. Mm-hmm. Um so there's a long uh, history of the workers' movement fighting for this. Actually, in Australia, there's um, some nice stories of the the union movement um, teaming up with women's rights groups and pro-choice groups to push back against anti-abortion legislation like uh, with Joby Occhi-Peterson in Queensland when he tried to move against abortion. So, yeah, I think it's really intimately linked. I think we shouldn't forget the fact that we're talking about thousands of women dying Mm. through not having access to abortion um, or through a botched, um, yeah, backyard-type illegal, Mm. in inverted commas, abortions in America and that being obviously disproportionately poor working-class women and and people of colour in particular in America Mm. right now. So, yeah, like it's an extremely serious issue for working-class women. Yeah, and it's why, if I can just add, like the demand for socialist women hasn't just been, oh, sorry, for socialists uh, around this issue has not just been abortion rights should be legal. Uh, it's that it should be free, on demand, safe, accessible. You know, it, it's sort of meaningless. Yeah. And, and some of the states in America prove this, actually. It's quite meaningless to have abortion rights if it's not uh, cheap or free yeah. or uh, available nearby. Um, yeah. And again, that's something that for ruling class women, wealthy women, doesn't really matter that much because they can often, you know, uh, catch a plane somewhere where abortion is uh, legal or accessible. Uh, for working class women, it's a it's a major demand and always has been. Yeah, and I I was just reflecting on this earlier with my partner. We have a um, nearly two year old, and both of us were like, I feel like I'm even more pro abortion since having a baby than before (laughs) partly because obviously we love our kids but like it's seriously very very hard being a parent if somebody doesn't want to be Mm. a parent they shouldn't fucking be a parent like don't do it you don't have to do it and Mm. to have that right to choose and to control you know that aspect of your life I think just seems so fundamental Mm. um so this week Fucked. I'm oh, sorry. Yeah, no, okay. <laughs> I was going to just add to that. It's just pretty fucked when you think about it, the idea that people should have to carry a baby to term against their will. I mean, it's yeah. just such a – when you put it like that, what a torture to have to go through, you know, when you actually don't want to. Um, and that's what's happened to so many women throughout history and is happening to a lot of women today, especially in the US, uh, because of the shocking winding back of abortion rights. Um and something I think socialists should just be against, you know, yeah. should be a really uh, simple issue. And pregnancy is seen as this neutral thing. It's not a neutral thing. It's an mm. incredible burden on your body to gestate a, 
and a whole new human being and childbirth like my god mm. like yeah uh more traumatic yeah. than you know extreme car road traffic accidents that kind of thing on people's bodies yeah. and that's also part of what's being forced upon people who don't get to choose our across the world so there was uh, it was pretty shocking. Like um, a lot of the American coverage of the leak from the Supreme Court, there was a lot of outrage about the fact that there was actually a leak that had come out of the Supreme Court. I don't think that's ever happened before. But what does this actually mean for people who are just kind of catching up with with this issue? Well, if you don't, if you haven't followed it at all, um, I guess the key points are that there's been a draft decision of the Supreme Court that was actually leaked, presumably from someone on the court. Um, And it was a decision that has not been made yet. It's a draft, but it showed that five conservative justices support uh, overturning Roe v. Wade. So it was sort of their um, multi-page justification for why they would do that. Um, And basically, they are saying that Roe v. Wade, the decision in 1973, which kind of enshrined abortion rights uh, across the US, that that's unconstitutional and should never have happened and they want to um, reverse it. And what that would basically mean is that uh, they would throw the decision back to the individual states. And if you know anything about the various states of America, more than 50% of them or around 50% of them are really just totally hostile to abortion rights. Um, And that, you know, is... Even in all of those states, there are a majority of people who actually support abortion rights. Nonetheless, uh, this, the um, legislatures there either have already uh, passed legislation severely restricting abortion. Some of them have trigger laws. I think that's about 13 states have trigger laws which are set to come into effect if Roe v. Wade is overturned and that would essentially completely outlaw abortion, even um you know, like with no exceptions, including in cases of rape or incest. Uh, So it's pretty dramatic. Uh, And it could mean that within a couple of weeks, if this all goes ahead, up to 58% of women uh, or people who are uh, of childbearing age will not be able to access abortion in their state. So a pretty dramatic reversal, yeah. And one thing to point out, I think, is that this is five people, five conservative justices on a body of just nine people. They're about to potentially decide the fate of millions and millions of people. Yeah. Mm. And um, I was thinking about it from the point of view of the what the politics of the leaking person might have been because it could have been either way really. Like there's a yeah. there's an argument for leaking it from the conservatives' point of view because they want to set up all these laws to make it as harsh as possible, you know, criminalise doctors, mm. um, et cetera, get ready for it to happen so that they can act immediately. But there's also a case for the people who are pro-choice to leak it to to try to spark some kind of resistance and campaign to put enough pressure on them to not actually make the ruling. So it's kind of interesting mm. politically at that level because it is just such now a, a entirely divisive issue in American mm. politics. And I, I think a lot of people then would say, well, is this a reflection of, you know, where American politics has got to? Has American society moved this far to the right that the 5-4 
majority actually is reflective of American um, society or American politics? What do you think about that question? Um, well, it's, I guess important to first say that a majority of people support abortion being legal and that's that's in every demographic really and, you know, even amongst um, Catholics, for example, uh, in all the states. I think uh, a recent poll I read was that about 77% of people uh, want abortion rights to be legally protected in some way and it kind of depends how you ask the question because the debate has been pushed so thoroughly to the right but it's always a majority really uh, and a majority of people don't want Roe v Wade overturned importantly so again it's just it's a really undemocratic process that's going on right now that this tiny number of people can decide this and I think the two reasons for it really don't lie in um, you know the like the masses of people shifting to the right particularly uh, or even in in like you know the idea that everyone's just really religious it is a very religious country but actually the numbers of religious people have been waning um, quite significantly like it's gone down 10 percent in 10 years which is quite a lot um, so I think the two main reasons is because there's a really powerful Christian right uh, with that's thoroughly embedded with the Republican Party and they've been really campaigning for years and like decades um, since Roe v. Wade was uh, decided to push back against not just this, but you know, women's rights, LGBTI rights in general, and this has been a real, um, a real calling card for them. Uh, getting rid of Roe v. Wade, especially, is kind of a um, bit of a holy grail for them. And the other thing is just the appalling role of the Democrats, I think, and and the sort of liberal institutions. We can probably talk about that a bit later, but um, I think that's partly what's let it happen. So it's yeah, not really just this simple reflection of the backwardness of American society or anything like that. Yeah. And it's interesting when you look at the history um, since Roe v. Wade because the that decision was not actually that controversial, wasn't much commentary about mm. it. Most people just thought, oh, yeah, that seems to make sense and continued. Mm. But it did seem to be the beginning of the drawing on the evangelical Christian kind of population um, much more into the political right and into the mm. Republican Party. And I think that that's become even more central to the Republican Party, which is not a reflection of, yeah, as you say, American society as a whole, but it is a reflection, I think, of what's happened within the Republican Party and what issues mm. have become their real kind of cornerstone issues, which weren't initially um, as yeah. clear cut. And I think talking about the Democrats is useful on that too, because. Uh, at the time of Roe v. Wade, there were Democrat states that had really prohibitive anti-abortion laws, and there were Republican states that had really, um, you know, uh, pro-choice yeah. uh, set up. So everyone now just says, "Well, the Democrats are the pro-choice party." What um, what have you got to say about that? Like, is that true? Or, yeah. or obviously, it's not true. But like, how do we know <laughs> that that's not true? Well, yeah, I mean, just to start with the thing you mentioned uh, about the Republicans, I think before uh, the early 1970s, before Nixon really, there wasn't this clear divide between the Republicans and the Democrats on the, over the issue of abortion. Um, abortion was being won by mass movements kind of across the country and there were actually Republicans who on a kind of right-wing basis thought, yep, abortion's fine, we don't want public funds spent on 
poor children who didn't need to be born, that sort of thing. Um, so it was really a kind of long-term strategy of the Republicans to turn this into a major part of um, right-wing identity in America, uh, along with all of the other kind of backlashes against various whites, uh, rights for LGBTI people that were and for women that were run uh, won during the 1970s. Um, so on the Democrats, I think, you know, they kind of really don't deserve the, the title of pro-choice party. Um, you know, well, for one, like Democratic presidents and administrations have just had so many, so much ample opportunity to federally enshrine abortion rights because pro-choice people have argued for a long time that there is a flimsiness to Roe v. Wade and you can see that playing out now. It's, I mean, it's just a, a Supreme Court precedent and there's only nine people on that court. They can overturn it. Uh, at any point, and there's been a whole bunch of times throughout the last 50 years that people have worried that Roe v. Wade was going to be overturned. That was in you know in the 80s, in the 90s, um, the 2000s, and now uh, today as well. And Democratic presidents could have at any point uh, just made this federal law um, instead of relying purely on the court. And they've just refused to at every point. I mean, Obama, for example, mm-hmm. um, he really promised that this was going to be his first act as president was to introduce a freedom of choice act, which was about enshrining abortion rights. And then once he was elected, he just said, this is no longer my high priority um, and proceeded to just do nothing about it throughout two terms of office. And you think about this, like he had a majority in both houses in his first term. So (laughs) with that majority, he did absolutely nothing uh, to, to, uh, enshrine abortion rights. Um, and Bill Clinton as well, before him, he uh, refused to legislate for it despite also pres- uh, promising to during his presidential campaign. Um, and he's quite famous for instead kind of pushing the debate to the right, actually. He uh, popularised the slogan, safe, legal and rare, that abortion should be safe, legal and rare, emphasis on the rare. <laughs> um, it's a really moralistic way of talking about it. Uh, and Hillary Clinton as well. Um, yeah, she's you know, one in, of the worst. Yeah, just terrible. Yeah. She took up this uh, this slogan. She said, um, I just read this the other day, it's just appalling. She was speaking to a bunch of pro-choice supporters actually, like to a rally, and she said, we can all recognise that abortion is in many ways uh, a sad, even tragic choice. Yeah. So it's just this, ki- this kind of rhetoric, I think, that has come out of the Democrats for decades. It's really helped the rights campaign. It just makes it all sound like the rights of fetuses and when does life begin and all this crap is, is the sort of um, the terms of the debate rather than women's rights. Mm. And, you know, all the different talk about the different conditions like okay maybe in this certain circumstance with these Mm, mm -hmm. conditions or whatever like it's not there's very well there's no democrats that just say you know um free on demand abortion Mm. like they all have caveats um yeah and that thing about rare is just so ridiculous when you look at how many people in america actually have abortions i think the number is still roughly one in three women in america has had an Mm. abortion including Catholic women, including yeah. Christian women. So it's not rare. It's incredibly uh, common and frequent. It's just about mm. how people have that experience and it's just got worse and worse. 
Exactly. And they also really, one of the gross things about Clinton, if I can just stick on her. Yeah, go for it. I hate her. um, Is that she really connected it to like abstinence only education. You can hear it in in the stuff that she says about, oh, we want this to be rare, you know, and it's a really sad and tragic thing. So basically she supported abstinence only education in schools, which has become a really massive problem in America um, that, Kids are just taught this totally moralistic rubbish in school um, and not taught proper sex education. Um, And the Democrats have also variously, you know, supported uh, restrictions on access to birth control and stuff. So they've really just helped push the debate so far to the right. Like I think things are actually worse than they were uh, in the early 70s before Roe v. Wade came in really. So then you would think in that context that the actual organisations that are there to campaign and support abortion rights would have um, adopted some other strategies to kind of push uh, the Democrats or work outside of the Democrats, but that doesn't seem to be the case as far as I can see. What has Mm. their role been, you know, like Planned Parenthood and so on? Mm. Um, Pretty bad, really just tailing the Democrats. So, I mean, You'll get a sense of it if you follow the news right now, like the Democrats are just going on and on about how this is why you need to vote for us in the upcoming midterms. Um, And, you know, as if you look at what Obama and Clinton did, like this is obviously how they use it really to just um, say to the American public, you have to vote for us if you want to defend abortion rights. And I think the part of the problem with um, like now, which is the National Organization of Women, Planned Parenthood, stuff like that, is they've just let the the Democrats get away with that while not actually <laughs> really legislating to defend abortion rights. Um, so, so a lot of the, the stories that I was reading about, um, you know, involve organizations like now and Planned Parenthood opposing protests and opposing the kinds of mass actions that have actually won abortion rights. In fact, because it might uh, embarrass the Democrats, because it you know detracts from um, the election campaign they they might be running and that sort of thing. Uh, I was reading about like in the '90s there was quite a um, famous attempt by the right to go f- basically from from abortion clinic to abortion clinic to physically shut them down, um, and the organisation of women now basically didn't organise anything against it and opposed the left when they uh, held protests against the far right and tried to defend the abortion clinics. And it had some disastrous consequences, like where there were no protests because now and Planned Parenthood got their way, they actually were able to shut down the abortion clinics. Um, uh, So that happened in Wichita quite famously. And then where the left was stronger and was able to win this argument that we need to have – you know, big protests of hundreds or thousands of people to defend the clinics, they actually continued to operate and really delivered the right a a massive blow. So I think that, yeah, both constantly relying on the Democrats or even relying on the Supreme Court as well, um, as well as just not having a strategy that's about activism and protests and the things that have really been able to push back the right in the past and have actually won abortion rights. So, yeah, let's talk about some of that history. Um, Mm. 
because Roe v. Wade just didn't come sort of out of thin air. What was some of the context that you've um, been learning about in terms of the 70s and 80s and how there was actually a protest movement both in America but also internationally as well? I think some of the campaigns to win abortion mm. rights have been entirely sort of protest-driven mass movements. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's pretty much it. Like throughout the 60s, you know, it really precedes Roe v. Wade by at least a decade. Um, there were women's organisations set up uh, in the US and, you know, pro-choice, pro-abortion um, rights organisations set up and they held pretty regular protests. Um, it was never like super mass compared to, say, the civil rights movement in America, um, but it was part of this you know, huge wave of protests around LGBTI rights, women's rights, and in particular black rights, and um, just really had a massive impact on on people's consciousness. So, basically, by the early uh, the early nineteen seventies, there's quite a substantial amount of mass support for abortion rights, um, and you know, this is partly what forces a whole bunch of states, particularly New York, um, but others as well, to introduce. Uh, laws protecting abortion rights um, and it's what it means that by 1973 like the Roe v Wade case was by no means the first case uh, that contested whether abortion should be legal federally there were a whole bunch of them that the Supreme Court heard but sort of by that stage they're under so much pressure and in a way they're just rubber stamping a, um, a situation that has become uh, or is becoming kind of universal across America anyway so um yeah, I think it was their way of of uh, sort of you know not seeming completely out of touch with where the where the mass movements had had sort of pushed society to by those by that stage. So yeah, yeah. But you can see why relying on it is is uh, so dangerous as well because yeah. it it was never really it was never the Supreme Court that kind of um, polite you know kindly handed this right down to people. It was something they fought for and. Even throughout the 80s and 90s, there were all these attempts to uh, to shut down clinics, to pass anti-abortion laws, um, and in a way, the height of the, the kind of pro-choice and pro-abortion rights protests really happened in those years, trying to defend it against actually the Supreme Court or trying to defend it against um, against the various states or against just right-wingers trying to shut down uh, women's access to clinics. Yeah. And I think, I mean, the it's just such an iconic um, judgment. Like it's one of those cultural, mm. I don't know, it's like a, it feels like a cornerstone of feminist politics, you know, that if you're a feminist and somebody says something about Roe v. Wade, you know what they're talking about. You know that feminists mm. are pro-choice and that this was this magnificent um, victory in 1973 and that's, really transformed mm. abortion rights. But like, as you say, there's so many weaknesses um, in relying on a Supreme Court judgment to just be the thing that, you know, holds back the tide of the right when the right have campaigned, you know, throughout mm. and will continue to campaign now. So what, like, what would you say to um, the argument of someone, you know, around the role of the Supreme Court, like if, if, you know, like the classic argument is 
if you elect the Democrats, then there's also the chance that they can appoint someone to the Supreme Court and that they can, mm. you know, make a different judgment or protect Roe v. Wade. Um, yeah. Can you talk about yeah. a bit more about some of the weakness of that uh, argument? Well, I mean, I just think it's pretty crazy if you're going to rely on this body of nine ruling class people who serve on a court for life. Um, like. Of course, they can be, you know, well, for one, they're never, they're not really ever on our side, even when they do uh, make pronouncements that are kind of more with the zeitgeist. Um, even when they passed Roe v. Wade, this by no means meant that there were all these, you know, left wing feminists or something sitting on the uh, on the Supreme Court. Like they're really a firm part of the ruling class, um, so they're far more interested in upholding the system, including all of the horrible oppressions it entails. Uh, so I just think to rely on a body like that is is pretty crazy. And, you know, the the again, like the Democrats are the, in many ways the key problem. Like this, they are the ones that constantly say vote for us and we'll uh, either enshrine it federally or maybe we'll put some, we'll make sure that there's some liberals on the Supreme Court that can protect um, Roe v. Wade. And they, I think, just what's happening now really demonstrates that they haven't been able to do that um, and they're not interested in doing it either. Like there's all these technical things they could do, like they could expand the Supreme Court by a number of members and appoint some liberals and stuff like that, but they're just much more interested in the stability of um, American capitalism, uh, much more interested in making concessions constantly to uh, the right in in states where they're um, – uh, you know, where there's sort of a heavily contested election, um, you know, <laughs> much more interested in in keeping the really anti-abortion right-wingers inside their party happy than they are in uh, in protecting, you know, yeah, doing anything that it would take to actually protect abortion rights. So, yeah, yeah, and again, the just the flimsiness of that um, of that decision, like even from the very beginning, Roe v. Wade uh, has allowed a whole bunch of states to kind of make their own policies. It, it, um, if you kind of read the the decision from 1973, it allows for a whole series of um, situations in which women can be denied abortion rights, uh, and it kind of. Uh, partly set off the whole debate about when does life start yeah. um, as well because it uh, allows, you know, the states to rule on that. So, yeah. Yeah, I read a um, great quote from the socialist historian Howard Zinn who's written yeah. a lot of books there about people's history and I think his point that um, uh, that the right, of a woman to an abortion did not depend on the Supreme Court decision. It was one before that decision all over the country by grassroots agitation that forced states to recognise the right. He, he says, if the American people who by a great majority favour that right, insist on it, act on it, no Supreme Court decision can take it away. Hmm. And actually, even if this decision goes through, it doesn't stop anyone uh, from winning abortion rights, it doesn't say you can't have an abortion anymore. It just says that the right is no longer constitutionally protected. So mm -hmm. you could actually still in that circumstance have free legal on-demand abortion in every state in America. But how do you get mm -hmm. that? Well, insist on it, act on it, 
agitate, etc. And what do you think about the hopes of that happening based on the response to just this leak decision? Uh, look, it's, I mean, it's hard to say. One thing that's probably worth just saying is we don't know whether um, the Democrats w- might, you know, they might actually try to pass some legislation or, yeah. or whatever. That, I don't think that's totally out of the question. Um, but the this is the, what's happening right now is the culmination of decades of campaigning by the right and abortion rights basically lies in tatters all across the country, even in the most kind of blue democratic states, you know, access is, um, is restricted because of just the like lack of funding for Planned Parenthood and for abortion clinics and all of that. So it's a really broad problem that yeah. is going to extend beyond this moment, uh, regardless of what the court decides. Um, but I do and think actually, that... One, sorry, just to interrupt. One, no, yeah. one fact on the ground that I heard, which was staggering, is one of the things that the anti-choice people... Um, do is set up these things called pregnancy centres to, um, in theory, support people through pregnancy, basically prevent them from having an abortion. And their aim is for every abortion clinic that exists, they try to have at least five pregnancy centres. And in some Mm -hmm. states they have as many as 75 to 1 ratio of their pregnancy centres to abortion clinics. So this is the kind of ground campaign and massive amount of funding Mm. that they have and so on. But where, you know, Planned Parenthood have done nothing to make the Democrats fund even more um, mm. clinics, et cetera, et cetera. So it's sort of like, yeah, there's everything to fight for and there's still space to fight for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And just, I mean, to add to just some of the, the horrors of that, like there are, I think, at least six states which have one clinic yeah. um, providing abortion and like just dozens and dozens of major big US cities that have just people live more than 100 miles away from an abortion uh, provider. Yeah. So it's just, yeah, um, absolutely ridiculous, a lot to fight for. And I think what's happening in response to the recent news is promising. There's been a whole bunch of protests of thousands of people um, across the whole country, you know, outside their capital buildings and that sort of thing. Um, a lot of, you know, socialists and left-wingers have been uh, at the forefront of trying to organise those. And I have noticed already if you if you watch some of the, um, the speeches at them and uh, read some of the comments of attendees that there's, there is clearly this tension between the Democrats who come out and, and speak at these rallies and say, this is why you should vote in the midterms. Um, how inspiring uh, versus the people who are organising it and and kind of just the visceral anger of all these people who want to see abortion rights federally uh, enshrined in legislation uh, that, you know, that they want to kind of keep getting out there and and protesting and fighting. And I I do think that that side really needs to win this argument, um, you know, for for things to go forwards. Like if this just becomes... You bump the uh, Democrats, you know, um, into you know into a few extra positions in Congress in de- in December. I just don't think that is going to come anywhere close to what is needed to really um, turn the tide in the other direction. And, and one of the problems as well is that the right are going to be so emboldened by this moment, um, especially if the Supreme Court actually does overturn Roe v. Wade. Mm. Uh, that you know. This basically sends a message to right-wingers across America, but really over the, across the whole world as well, that 
you know, with this kind of persistent campaigning, um, you can you can wind back rights that were won 50 years ago by the women's liberation movement. And, yeah, it's, um, so there has to be a really dramatic response to it, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, if the line is not drawn here, then we're looking at equal marriage rights. Um, yeah. <coughs> all the transphobic stuff being amped, if that's even possible, you know, to the next level, anything about gender and sexuality would just be completely, yeah, fodder for mm. the right to continue to push. Um, so it's a very important moment. Thank you for uh, mm. coming and talking to us about it, Emma. It's all good. And we will continue to follow this issue closely and um, put a few links to different things happening in Australia as well. I think there's a couple of meetings coming up and maybe Mm. some action's going to take place here as well. So we'll keep you posted on that. Um, And, yeah, we'll be back again on Red Flag Radio because we have a world to win. Mm.